Greetings and welcome to another episode of the We Are Radicals podcast. Today, we continue season two of the podcast titled The Radical Response to Racism. In this episode, we will be able to listen in on another raw and authentic conversation about racism and the ways we as believers can engage in our world. I hope this encourages you and you enjoy this episode of the We Are Radicals podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting another guest on the We Are Radicals podcast. He is a recent high school graduate and a future Bible student at Evangel University. He's been actively involved in church-related ministries here in Kansas City for the past several years and has much wisdom beyond his age. We've had the opportunity to talk and reflect on the issue of race multiple times now, and it is my joy to welcome my friend Jaden Anderson to the We Are Radicals podcast today. Hello, my name is Jaden Anderson. I'm 18 years old, and I will be an incoming freshman at Evangel University this fall. I'm excited to see what God has got planned in my life, and just thankful to Abram for letting me come here on the We Are Radicals podcast to talk about the radical response to racism. Excited for it. Yeah, we're definitely glad to have you, Jaden. I'm excited just to be able to sit down and talk with you today. I want to start by asking you this question, and I think it's important for us to begin our conversation here. But in light of what's been going on in the past past few months, and obviously um, for a lot longer than that, um, how are you feeling about what's going on um, today? How are you feeling about your identity and all of this? And um, just give us a picture of what that looks like. I think if you ask a lot of people, it was set up for the perfect storm, right? Because we're all home alone or just with our families and we don't get to see our friends as much um, because of quarantine and all that. But for me, what happened is when this whole situation arose, I was already in a state of sort of lethargy, just not doing much, not really getting out there, wasn't really feeling motivated. And then this happens. And so first I see Ahmad Arbery and I'm first, I'm just numb. My first thought literally is, well, it happened again. Just another black man dead because of racism. And then Breonna Taylor happened. And I was like, it happened again. And then George Floyd happened. And finally something started to spark inside of me. And it was like, Jane, this really is not right. Because there was definitely a time in my life when I used to speak up about this stuff a lot, where I used to tell people, look, there are injustices that we're dealing with. And it's a problem here in the United States. But so many of my friends, I just felt like I was hitting a brick wall. And they were like, Jane, shut up. It doesn't matter. You know, and that finally got me to a point where I said, well, these things will happen. And I'll be sad about it for a little bit, but I can't let anyone know because if I do let them know, they're just going to get offended. And I don't want to make people uncomfortable. I just want to be a peaceable dude. I don't want people to say, oh, here's Jaden coming around, bringing up controversial topics. Like, I didn't want to be that guy. But I think now, after seeing George Floyd, so many people see like, wow, something really is wrong. And I don't know. I haven't talked to anybody and I haven't talked to any police officers personally because I have police officer friends. None of them have looked at that and said, 
yeah, he definitely deserved that. And it's been hopeful. It's made me hopeful to see that. So I guess if I could sum up my emotions is my first emotion was numbness. And then I just started to feel hurt and pain. And I'd say that really just comes from there are a lot of people who want to listen, but also you see some of your friends, some of the people who say that they love and care about you, those same people, either they're not doing anything, they're not saying anything, or nobody's reaching out. And I'd say that hurts more than anything. It's been said that we won't remember the harsh words of our enemies, but rather the silence of our friends. And I think that just rings true because for me, one of my friends was just, she didn't reach out in empathy. She didn't reach out in understanding. She just said, well, how dare you suggest that my silence or that my inaction means that I don't care. And I feel like a lot of people are there right now. A lot of white people just don't know how to respond to this situation. And if I could speak to that, I would say, if you have a friend, reach out. But for me, just seeing the inaction in the silence of people, that just really, that hurt. That hit me to the core. And that was the point that I was like, man, lines are really being drawn right now. But on the flip side of that, as I said, I've been feeling hope. Because one of my friends, someone who's disagreed with me on topics like this for my entire life, We've always had pretty civilized conversations, but when this all happened, he reached out to me and he said, Jaden, I might not understand. He said, I'll never be black and I'll probably never understand what it's like to be black in America, but I want to hear your side and I want to listen and I want to try and empathize. And that made me so happy seeing that someone who I previously thought didn't really care turned out in the end to have a very Christ-like attitude asking, let me weep with you. Let me mourn with you. I want to be there for you. And so numbness, hurt, but then just absolute hopefulness because so many people are willing to listen. Yeah. And you know, I think that even as I've just had two of these conversations already, that's the consistent theme that I'm finding is all of these actions are brought around in a personal manner. What you're saying when your friend came to you and began to listen and had this conversation and was open to hearing what you ultimately had to say, that's a personal commitment. And I think that that's part of what this entire season is about, is finding this radical response. Because I think we've seen it across the country. It's easy to go out and stand with a sign. It's easy to go and sign petitions. It's easy to do these things that need to be done and that are good when done in the proper way, but it's so much harder to sit and listen to those conversations, those difficult things, because I'm sure for him that it wasn't easy to sit and listen to your heart, because I'm sure that that's a heavy conversation, and it's not something you could do in one conversation, I'm sure. You couldn't say everything you needed to say in one conversation. And, you know, it's it's so difficult to actually believe that we have the ability, but all it takes from us is to personally commit to the person we want to empathize with, the person we want to build up more. It's going to take those 
personal commitments. Yeah, and if I could speak to that, I would say more than personal commitment. What hit me is because it's easy to say, well, I've got my one black friend and, you know, like the common phrase, well, I'm not racist. My best friend is black, you know? I mean, it's great that your best friend is black. Get a little bit of that culture in your life. But I think more than that, are you committed to the people? Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that resonates with me is, okay, you love me, but do you love people that look like me? And not only that, you love to sit down and enjoy black culture with me. You love to sit down and talk about Kendrick Lamar and J. Cole and Khalid and different people of black culture. But my question is, do you love black culture or do you love black people? And I think that's the real question that we need to be getting at these days is, do you love black people? You know? Yeah. Because I, I thought about that this past week as I was watching what was unfolding around our country. I was like, are we doing this because we love the ideology of what it stands behind of loving people, right? Or are we doing it because we actually love the people? Because I, when I was seeing all of these people, I was like, man, it almost seems like we just love the ideology. Because if we loved the people, we wouldn't be doing this now. It would have probably happened a long time ago and if we actually loved the people we would be doing things outside of this it wouldn't just be what's on the news that's being shown we would be doing things in our local communities we would be doing things for people we personally know and i think that's part of a response that's outside of the secular world when you truly think about it it's only people who would understand the authentic heart of christ who ultimately showed how much he cared for individual people and people for who they were, that you find like this response. For sure. And that's the beauty of it is when you love people, I'm a firm believer in that we're only going to see change when we see hearts change. Yes, there needs to be policy reform and you can get into that with different people. But my heart is, is that Jesus would be the response to this. And that that's such a Sunday school answer because the question is, well, what's the answer to this question? Jesus! And I mean, yes, Jesus is the answer though because when I think about it, I look at this and my initial reaction is like, okay, well, it happened again and nothing's going to change. We've been here before with countless names that you could just put down all the way starting at Rodney King. It's like we've seen this happen. We've protested. There have been riots. There have been people calling for police reform and nothing happens. And so your immediate reaction is, well, this is impossible. This is an impossible type of change or, oh, this is going to take generations. But my thought is, if Jesus can change the heart of someone like Saul, who hated Christians, whose entire purpose was to kill Christians and can change his heart to where he ends up writing over half the New Testament. If he can change someone's heart like that, I guarantee you he can change someone who might see black people as inferior. He can change their heart too. And that's what I'm hoping today is that Jesus would be poured out on these people and that people would start to see with a fresh mind, with a new understanding and ultimately have empathy for others because 
in that identity of Christ, we realize that, look, I've sinned, I've messed up, and I'm not perfect. And because of that, Jesus was willing to die for me. So that doesn't make me any better than you. We're all on the same playing field. And I think that's what we really want to see these days, you know? I think you just displayed the radical response that we, a part of it at least, is that for the Christian, the thing that can change lives the most thoroughly, the most quickly, and the most holistically is Christ. And if we were to respond with bringing Christ into the equation, and if that is our response, I think that that would easily change the whole landscape of what we're seeing. Because as you said, like I don't think there's a way that you can influence Christ into a scenario like this and it not change dramatically in a very short amount of time, like what you said with Paul and countless other testimonies of those who didn't know who Christ was yet in the midst of a situation where Christ was introduced, radical change happens at a very quick scale. So I think that that ultimately displays part of this, that we as believers, if we really want to spawn in a distinct way, we have to do it coming from a place where Christ is the focus or Christ is the center. Yeah, 100%. And I would say my biggest thought about this whole issue is don't make this about politics. And that's that's the hard thing about policies and everything like that is everybody is like, oh, well, you're stepping on politics. And as Christians, we're not allowed to talk about politics or as Christians, we're only supposed to think one way. I mean, yes, there's such a thing as sticking to the Bible and sticking to the Word of God. But I'm praying that you would realize that this is a human issue. That every single human being was made in the image of God. That black people were made in the image of God. And their life matters too. And I think... I mean, it's crazy that that's a controversial statement these days, that saying Black Lives Matter is a controversial statement. And just to speak to something that a lot of people get riled up about, which I don't think I don't think I need to get riled up about. I don't think other people need to. But, you know, when it comes to the statement, all lives matter, my biggest question would be to you when you say that is where is your heart coming from on that? Are you saying all lives matter because you want to sweep the problem under the rug and you want to act like it's not happening? Or are you saying it because you truly do believe that all lives matter? Because I, I, I definitely believe that all lives matter. But my thought is, for you, if your pastor is willing to preach about abortion from the pulpit or other pro-life stances, I would ask if you are pro-life when that life is in the womb, be pro-life when that life is on the street being kneeled on by a cop that like that that would be my charge to you is to be pro-life in all situations because i love all lives i do believe that all lives matter but that's like me looking over here to abram and say hey abram do you love me and he's like well of course i love you Jaden. i love all people you know like that well that's not what i asked you right now this house is on fire right now it feels like black life does not have as much matter and that, I mean, that stems from 
over 400 years of oppression. You know, it's 400 years and we're still here and we're still discussing problems like this. And that would just be my charge to you is, are you really valuing black life? And when someone says black lives matter, try not to get offended because we're not saying that you don't matter. I love my white friends. My mom is white. I'm mixed. You know, I love white people and I love all lives. But right now the problem is black life just does not feel valued. And I think if you were taught, if you were to speak to different African-Americans, that's what we're feeling right now. As we're feeling a lot of people say, well, you really don't matter as much. If you would, if you would just follow the law, if blacks wouldn't shoot each other in Chicago, then this wouldn't be a problem. You know, I, I don't think that's what we want to hear right now. We want to hear empathy. We want to hear understanding. We want to hear you say, yes, black lives do matter. And I'm sorry if that's a controversial statement to you, but I, I really do believe that's the issue we're dealing with right now. That makes sense. Yeah, and I think it just all stems from a place of defensiveness. Like, it's difficult for everyone involved, right? Like, we can't come to these difficult conversations with defensiveness. If we already are defensive and we hear Black Lives Matter and all of a sudden we just get defensive, it's going to continue what you're saying. We're never going to actually be able to change. We're never going to actually be able to advance the kingdom of God. Because if the kingdom of God is divided, how are we going to be able to build the kingdom of God if we all are standing at odds against one another? And to speak to that, one of the, one of the parts about this entire situation that I've been thinking about is I've spoken to many people who said, well, at least it's not as bad as the 60s. I'm like, that is true. I do not have to drink from a different water fountain. And I am so thankful for that. I'm glad that doesn't, ha- like that doesn't happen. I'm glad I'm able to sit down with Abram and have this conversation, you know. But one of the things I keep thinking about is if you want to look at a picture of why there might be, quote-unquote, systemic racism or different problems of that nature still in our society i would say go look at the church pews on sunday and i've been blessed enough to where i go to a really diverse church where there's people of every skin color there but if you look at most churches it's well i go to a predominantly white church or oh i go to a predominantly black church or oh i go to a predominantly latino church and That's sad because if you look at the body of Christ, we're supposed to be one. And I don't want to force integration on people, but as the body of Christ, should we not be the example? Should we not be the people that other folks look at and they say, man, you want to look at a picture of love. You want to look at a picture of caring. That's it right there. So I would challenge you on Sundays, you know, what... What are you doing? Are you only with people that look like you? Because nothing brings people together like worship. I will always remember, I think it was 2018 National Fine Arts, one of the dopest worship services I've ever been to was where it was also, um, it was like Hispanic 
heritage in the assemblies of God. It was it was just a really cool event. And a, like thousands of youth and thousands of Latinos came together and we had a worship set that was in English and in Spanish. When I tell you I've never gone so hard in worship, like you know those times when you go hard in worship where like you're getting the rock back and forth, you're jumping up and down like that was me because at that point what I saw was the body of Christ really coming together. And I don't think anything on earth will look anything remotely like heaven because, you know, we're a fallen world and everything. But I do believe that in moments like that, in instances like that, we get to see a glimpse of heaven, a glimpse of unity. And I think that's what we're really asking for right now is we want to be a part of that. We don't just want to be the token black person on your worship team. We want to be together. So I think this is a good segue because you just kind of showed us what happened to you as a student, as a young person who was at a youth event, and um, that's the perspective that you bring. So as a student, as a young person, where do you see there to be disconnect between the younger generation, people like us, people in our teenage years or in our early 20s, where is that disconnect between us and older generations who seem to have differing perspectives on what's going on right now? I would say one of the biggest differences in perspective is that if you talk to someone who went through the civil rights movement, who lived in the 50s and 60s, they look at today and they say, oh man, this is nothing compared to what we had. I remember when Chicago burned after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And that is very true. The Jim Crow era was horrific. Reconstruction era right after the Civil War was absolutely horrific. And I don't have to go through a lot of those same things. But the difference is, is that today we're fighting the dregs of that society, if that makes sense. We're facing the we're facing the downpour of a system that existed for hundreds of years. When you look at the African American experience in America, it is so different from any other race. And I'd say that the biggest distinction, because if you look at Irish people, they came over here because of a famine. A lot of people came over here because they saw America as the land of opportunity. And they chose to came here. They chose to come here. If you look at African Americans, the opposite is true. We were chilling in Africa, you know, and brought over and treated like absolute cattle. To be candid, you know, Africans were stacked in boats like sardines and made to use the restroom on each other and then pulled out and sold like cattle. And when you do that to a people for hundreds of years, you strip them of their culture, of their roots. Man, what does that do to a person's psyche? 
And then one thing that I think we continue to forget about, or we forget about nowadays, but it was really big a couple of years ago, is the whole Confederate monument thing. I'm all for remembering history. I'm a huge history buff. But then if you are a black person in the South and you're driving around where you live and you see these monuments that are actually set up by the Daughters of the Confederacy in the 1880s and 1890s, you should go look it up. Um, They're set up as Southern propaganda that, you know, the South, that the good old South was still, that was an ideal and that we should yearn for that. And so when you're a black person driving through the South and you see monuments to these people that actively fought to keep you down and fought to make you look inferior, not only did they have an armed insurrection against the United States, but as a human being, they said, no, you're not worth it. You are less than. And so if for hundreds of years, up until around the 1960s is when we saw law change. But black people are less than, what does that do to your psyche? And so when it comes to that disconnect between the older generation and ours, they would say, well, we defeated racism in 1964 when we passed the Civil Rights Bill. You know, well, no, that's not... We're still looking at the hearts of people. And I challenge you to go speak to your black friends and ask them, how have you experienced racism in your life? Because when it comes to me, one of the first instances that I had with racism was when I was in fourth grade. I was playing for a club baseball team. And we were in the dugout and we're little fourth grade boys. Like we're just a bunch of punks. <laughs> like We don't know what we're doing. And we're talking about different girls that we like. And I gave this one girl's name. And this kid comes up to me. And he says, well, is she white or is she black? And I said, she's white? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Like, that didn't really register in my mind. I was like, what does that have to do with anything? And he said, well, you know that black boys like you aren't supposed to date white girls. And I was like, really? You know, and I was hurt because I'm this little fourth grader and I never thought that people would think that I'm less than or that I wasn't good enough today. Like a specific person or like an entire race of people are just off limits to me because I'm black. And so, I mean, that was big to me. But then later on, when I was in ninth grade, we're talking like five years later. You know, you'd think there'd be more progress in the world, but surprisingly, it was, this has to do with baseball again, but we're running out to the fences for a warm-up, and one of my teammates looks at me. He says, you better run faster, you cotton-picking N-word, and I'm like, people really think like that still, and that would be the overt racism that people talk about. But one of the things that our generation is realizing is that there's something known as covert racism, where, you know, there's a system where black people aren't necessarily considered equals. When it comes to me getting pulled over, someone who's white isn't going to have the same problems that I have. 
And what's crazy, what I want you to know, is that if you are that white dude who can be high and get pulled over, and the cop's like, just make sure you get home safely, sir. Like, I'm not saying that's your fault. That's not, you didn't ask to be born white just as much as I didn't ask to be born with black skin. But when it comes to issues with law enforcement, honestly, we are afraid. That would be the best way to describe it, is that we are afraid of police officers. Police officers didn't ask for us to be afraid. There are 100% good cops out there. I know good cops. But at the end of the day, as a black person, when you see those lights flash, like your heart drops. And if you go talk to any young black male, I guarantee you their parents have had a conversation with them about, okay, Jaden, here's what you do when you get pulled over. Keep your hands on the steering wheel. You better make sure that your license, registration, insurance, like that, all of that is together in a place where the officer can see. And seeing my mom cry when stuff like this happens. When she sees George Floyd on the ground, she doesn't see George Floyd. She sees Jaden Anderson being murdered because someone is afraid of black people. And it comes, as I said, it comes from the dregs of a society where we're separate, where we're not equal, where we are different. And yes, there are differences between black people and white people. I think you'd have to be insane to not think that. And I understand the sentiment of saying, well, well, I don't see color. Then you need to go see an you need to go see an eye doctor because color is a real thing. And there are differences between me and my white brothers and sisters. What we're asking is that you would appreciate us. That you would value us the same. If you look at Germans and Irish people, which if you've never been to Irish Fest in Kansas City, I say go. It's a blast. I love it. The Irish music is just so cool, and there are a bunch of street vendors. But at the end of the day, the Irish and German people, like the German people look at the Irish, and they're like, well, you're human. You're the same. But we have cultural differences. I think that's what black people are asking for, is that, you know, you'd appreciate our cultural differences. But at at the same time, we're all human. We're all on the same level. And I'd say that's what we're really asking for from police, from our white brothers and sisters, is that you just see us as the same. You'd appreciate our culture and you would appreciate the differences, but that you would see us as the same, as human. And that's so important that we recognize that even though we have the like diversity of culture, diversity of race, we're still all brothers and sisters in Christ but we're not all uniform. We're not all the same. We still can have our unique differences and be unified. Unified doesn't mean that we're uniform. It just means with with Christ, we all become one with him. And if we're all one with Christ, then we're all one with each other. That doesn't mean we're all the same. But I think that's so important that we we look at and we don't say these things that even if they are meant well they don't convene the messages that or they don't convey the messages we actually mean to convey mm-hmm. and i also think like 
just as I was listening to you, what I heard was that we can't be blinded by our progress, that we are blinded by, or that we're blinded to what we need to do in the future. Because what you're saying, like, yeah, you don't suffer the same things that people in Reconstruction, people that went through the 60s, they dealt with. But that doesn't mean just because we've come this far that we can ignore the future that we still have to go, the plans that we still need to make to get our future to the place that it should be. And I think overall, that's just an American, an American dream, if you would say, if you would say that. Because I think black people, we look at, we say we are one country, you know, for liberty and justice for all. And we look at that promise because that's in reality, that's what it is. And that's what we want is we want liberty and justice for all. When I'm before the judge, I want to have the same fair opportunity that my friend who's white has before that same judge. That's what we're asking is for liberty and justice for all. And people are saying, well, it's, well, it's never going to be perfect. And of course, there are going to still be people that still look at me, still look down on me, are still afraid if I want to date their white daughter, you know, like there's still going to be people like that. But can we change that as a whole? Can we make those the outliers? Can we make that? Can we make sure that people like that aren't in power? Can we make sure that people that understand are the people with the keys? And I think that's just what we want. We want a level playing field. We want to be seen as equal in the eyes of the law, but in the eyes of our brothers and sisters. Don't let us just be a commodity for you. Let us be a part of your experience. And I think that that's one of the things that I've been wrestling with a lot is when I think about some of these police officers who have done things like this, I ask myself, well, how many black friends did they have? And how immersed were they in the black community? Because if you're a police officer, it's really hard to see the value in black life when the only time you see black people is on the job when we're shooting and killing each other. And so my question for you is, if you're just a civilian, are you? is it hard for you to see the value in black life? Because you only see what the news shows you. You only see maybe what movies show you. All you see is Ice Cube, you know? And I love Ice Cube, like, don't get me wrong. But if all you see is this depiction of black people shooting each other, selling drugs, and, like, being hoodlums, then of course you're going to think that we're not good people. But what if I told you that that was not the majority? That there's an entire experience with black culture that you just have not had. I charge you 100%. If you are not black and you've never been to a black barbershop, first off, find a black barbershop that cuts white hair. That would be your first step. But I would say go. Because that the barbershop has always been like a hub of black culture. And you want to hear some of the funniest stories ever like go to a black barber shop because it's it's a blast and that is a positive experience with black culture that you would say dang 
first off, these dudes know how to cut my hair like way better than great clips. And second off, like there's there's so much more to be had because you're seeing the value in black life. You're seeing what we see. Not only of course I'm going to say black life matter, like black lives matter because I'm black. But also cuz I've got black brothers and sisters that I love dearly and I can see the value in their life. Now, as a Christian, we should immediately see value in life no matter where it is. But if you're struggling with that, if you're wrestling with that phrase, I would challenge you, don't just have like a token black friend. Go get around multiple black families. Go to black family cookouts. <laughs> like, do get connected with the black community. Because a lot of us, we're connected with the white community. Like, and that's kind of a necessity just because there's so many white people in America. But, you know, we are connected and we've been doing our best to understand your culture. Now, as a mixed person, I've had exposure to both cultures. You know, I like to say that my mom is the whitest of the whites and my dad is the blackest of the blacks because my mom is Canadian. Like, it does not get whiter than that. Just, I'm sorry. You know, different things like that. She's just so white and I love her to death. She's amazing. And she gets it. She understands. Then my dad is straight from Africa. Like, he's from the country of Ghana. And it's amazing just having that heritage of just both cultures. And so I would say, if you're white, reach out to that black community. Get with one of your black friends and be like, dude, I don't understand. I don't get it. But can I maybe, like, hang out with you around your family sometime? Can I come over for dinner? Like, do you want to take me to the different restaurants that you go to? I would just really encourage that. And if you're black, because I feel like a lot of people, a lot of white people feel like we don't want to reach out, that we don't want to know their culture. But if you're black, like, I mean, I'm assuming you probably have white friends. And as I said, a lot of us are connected to white communities. But on top of that, you know, get to white, get to know white culture a little bit. You know, there are different things like go watch Austin Powers. <laughs> something like that. Go listen to Van Halen. Um, yeah, that would just be my two cents on just connecting with each other, building a bridge. That's so good, Jaden. And as we wrap up, um, I want to ask you, what do you, what do you think there are some small things that we can do as believers? Some things that we all know the huge things that we're seeing go across social media and all the actions that we can take. But are there any things that you can think of that we can do specifically as believers? You already said, go invest into the communities, go get connected in those communities. But what are maybe some small things that we can also do to help as we, as we go into those communities, as we go invest into those relationships, and as we listen what are some other things that we may be able to do to be able to invest into you and invest into your community and also just be a part of what you're doing and a part of the walk that you guys are walking? Yeah, so I would say my first response would be to love first. That has been what's been hard for me, especially if you're a black person right now. Love first. 
one thing that was hard for me is that when this all went down, God laid on my heart. He said, Jaden, I need you to call your grandma. So I, I called my grandma. I was like, Grammy, I need you to chocolate chip cookie recipe. She said, Jaden, what for? I said, I'm going to make chocolate chip cookies for the Kansas City Police Department. And as a black person, like, that's hard right now. That's hard loving the people. Because when you look and you look at that police officer murdering a man, it's hard to look at other people that wear that same uniform and say, I love you. And I said, but if God laid this on my heart, it's something I want to do. So last week I made like 120 cookies. And, but I also wrote a letter with my perspective, kind of saying the same things I've been saying here and just asking them to see the perspective of black life, to see the value in black life. And in doing that, I brought those to the police station and left them with the sergeant and one of my police officer friends got back to me and she said that it was well received and that they plan on reaching out to me bridging gaps reaching out and loving other people that is huge right now so as a black person maybe reach out to more cops and say like hey i'm just wondering if you would listen to me or do something nice for them because my thought was if i can bring them cookies Maybe when someone is protesting and screaming at them face, hard truths that need to be heard right now, but they don't want to hear it, maybe they'll think back to that chocolate chip cookie and say, huh, maybe I shouldn't tear gas this person. That was my thought. But as a white person, 100%, go out and have conversations. That's been huge. Also, I love having conversations with people, so it's easy for me to say that. But I also feel like there are a lot of black people right now that are like, okay, I love it when my friends ask me questions, but a lot of us are just still trying to grapple with the emotions of this situation. I mean, we have like Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, like all in the span of like a week or two. And it's like, you don't even get to process one death before the next one just piles on. And you're just, you're hurt because it's like, you're seeing your people hurt. And so we're still trying to process those emotions. So maybe if you don't want to reach out and talk to one of your friends, I'd say go read some books. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, but there are a lot of great books out there, a lot of great resources that you can look up to try and understand the black experience. And understanding that will help you love better. 100%. And just as a Christian, that is our goal is to love better, to be the hands and feet of the body of Christ. So, I love that. Well, Jaden, it was great having you. Um, as we get ready to head off, um, will you tell them how they may be able to get in touch with you? Where can they connect with you? Yeah, so if you get on Instagram, J his underscore servant, all lowercase. Um, that's my Instagram if you want to hit me up. Um, it'll be in the show notes as well. So Jaden, thanks for coming and just being able to speak your heart. And it was really, really helpful just to hear what you had to say and to hear those perspectives that you gave. And especially with the perspectives you gave from the kingdom of God, that's these conversations when we're able to listen and we're actually able to hear 
especially voices from the perspective of fellow believers, man. It's going to allow us and equip us to move forward together and to really begin to respect one another for who we are, but also come together and unite as one kingdom. And I think that that's, that's really going to help us move forward. Well, thank you so much for having me. Love you, dude. Love you too, bro. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening to this conversation between Jaden and I. I hope you can take some of the things you may have heard and go out into your own communities, seeking to build stronger relationships and to advance the kingdom of God in unity. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform you may be listening on, especially Apple Podcasts. This will greatly help us as we seek to build God's kingdom and to share his radical message of unity in our world. I hope you begin your own conversations, and I hope you join us next time on the We Are Radicals podcast. Peace.